Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. Where do you start if you want to sell online to customers around the world? Start with Canada Post's Guide to International Shipping. Download your copy at canadapost.ca forward slash international shipping. Here to give you a first-hand glimpse into the future of Canadian business, it's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Really excited to bring to you something special that I've been working with, and that's a community a new community where we're engaging online with entrepreneurs from around the planet. And I invite you to join me. All you have to do is go to the link www.headspacefe.com where amazing conversations are happening with entrepreneurs. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show. Just really excited to be with you today. Uh, I'm talking from the East Coast, going to the West Coast, to talk to Dr. Alexandra Greenhill. She's an award-winning physician, entrepreneur, and is the founder of Care Team Technologies. Care Team Technologies is a digital health platform that puts patients, families, and health professionals on the same page so patients receive the healthcare that they deserve throughout their patient journey. Through working with tech accelerators, going to market, and including a social purpose into her business, Dr. Alexander Greenhill has created a successful digital health innovation company. Her hard work has positioned her product in a complex marketplace, and she continues to work hard to address challenges in areas of innovation and advances in Canada's health sector. Dr. Alexander Greenhill has more than 15 years of experience as a TEDx speaker has been recognized as a top 40 under 40 and holds the title of most influential women in STEM and has also received the Queen Elizabeth Medal of Service, which I want to uh, dig a little deeper into. And in 2018, Dr. Greenhill received Startup Canada's Western Canada Woman Entrepreneur of the Year and then went on to win it at a national level at the Startup Canada National Awards in Ottawa as being the Woman Entrepreneur of the Year. 
year. In today's show, we will talk to Alexandra about innovation and impact to achieve better Canadian healthcare, as well as using digital platforms to advance patients' experience. Dr. Alexandra, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Very excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, give me the title that your your uh, give me the how do your uh, your team members uh, uh, refer to you? Do they refer to you as Doctor Alexandra? Do they talk to you as as Green as uh, Doctor Greenhill? Is it Alex? How does it work? <laughs> uh, I usually go by Alex in the workplace and. Uh, nice. Um, what's really neat is uh, I believe in flat organizations, um, so everyone should be able to point out and teach anyone anything. And so some of uh, the younger people on my team have actually been the most helpful ones mm. um, in noticing things that become routine or leftovers from how we used to do. And so they'll ask a question and say, hey, why are you doing this? And you'll be like, oh, all right. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I should stop. <laughs> you give him permission to do that. That's very, very cool. You know, I, I, I remember I was at church once, and the uh, my pastor said, everybody over 50, raise your hand, and raised her hand. And he says, all you young people can learn something from these people, and you should reach out to them. And then he said, okay, everybody under 50, raise your hand. And they all raised their hand. He said, okay, all you people over 50 need to know that you can learn from these people. And that's exactly what you created by having that flat organization. Let's kind of dive into that for a bit. Uh, uh, how does an organization uh, like yours create that type of, uh, you know, flat flat strategy? Well, um, I think in the startup realm, it's fairly easy because you end up uh, in a space where you're constantly exposed to each other. You work with, you know, the junior intern um, uh, dev developer on your team. Uh, you're sitting literally in the same office around the same tables. You run into each other all the time. What's been interesting is now that we are 15 and you yes. have different departments that are being formed, how do you maintain that collegiality? Mm. How do you create that spirit of... Um, collaboration across where people can suggest ideas with some of the newer people coming in and still carrying that uh, remnant from other workplaces where, you know, the holder of the title and so being CEO and chief medical officer, you know, whatever I say sometimes in passing as a suggestion end up being interpreted as more than that when it wasn't meant right. to be that. Yes. And so um, it's an ongoing sort of clarification struggle, but you need people who are really comfortable with um, um, not seeing it as a turf. Right. But seeing it more as a, you know, others can contribute insights into what I do, um, you know, trying to get the engineers exposed to customers and sales, trying to get the folks on those uh, areas exposed to the coding and product development process um, and learning from other organizations who've uh, done a good job with that, with team events and uh, activities that bring everyone outside of their day jobs to collaborate on something different. Do you have a Do you have a specific uh, uh, technique to use to screen whether or not people are going to embrace your flat strategy? Well, we always look for people who are curious, and I think to me, mm. curiosity um, is both a strength because they're interested in solving problems. Um, they're interested in uh, finding out how things could be better, even when they work really well. Right. But um, 
I think it's also a good predictor uh, in my experience to date to being open to people coming up to you and saying like, hey, I think something needs to be done differently. And so mm -hmm. curiosity then kicks in and says, oh, tell me more as opposed right. to, whoa, <laughs> I'm yeah. the expert on this domain. And yeah. um, and lots of lessons learned from healthcare. There was a, um, a lot of evidence created in the 90s uh, showing that um, same as the airline industry is hierarchy kills. Yes. Uh, so if someone um, who um, notices something, they need to be feel comfortable to speak up, mm -hmm. even if it's the orderly who noticed that the lead surgeon got contaminated. Right. And so operating rooms in which people could speak up, patients survived, and other ones, patients ended up with infections or the wrong limb operated on. And mm. so creating that type <laughs> of a culture takes uh, some effort, but it's definitely beneficial. And it's not just empiric experience, but there's evidence behind that. Yeah, and you, it becomes part of your culture. Well, congratulations on that. I, I just wanted to head in that direction because a lot of our entrepreneurs you know, are beginning their journey of how to set up the structure for their businesses. And we don't talk a lot about a flat structure structure is that terminology. So thank you for letting me take that journey. Um, you uh, you started your career as a physician and then turned it into a career in entrepreneurship. Uh, do, your, do your medical uh, colleagues look at you and say, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> Not just the medical. <laughs> uh, everyone's slightly puzzled, but... Um, <laughs> You know, because um, uh, first it's seen a little bit as a um, completely different. Uh, most people think because our system is a publicly funded uh, healthcare system that uh, physicians are employees of the system. But by nature, most of physicians are actually not salaried. Yes. Uh, and they're running their own businesses. And so mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial streak is people who open clinics, create programs, um, they're funded through a public system, but um, they are rapidly having to face the realities of having to think uh, in mm -hmm. terms of budgets and, and hiring people and all of the activities that an entrepreneur also has to do, mm. uh, albeit in a safer context. Um, to me, the transition was um, doing a lot of intrapreneurship, so right. being handed big budgets within organizations to implement innovation to then saying, well, what if you actually broke the constraints of the box and you created something that could work not just in one setting or organization, but could be useful across. Yes. And if you can learn, all of the lessons learned can be translated. And then you end up as an entrepreneur because the ability for your idea to impact more people drives you. Yes. And so it's a slightly different motivation in a lot of people who become entrepreneurs because they see that as a way to uh, a payout or a steady income. Or So we, we sort of, everyone on our team and the leadership team is lucky to have other options, but we came together with the idea that healthcare is broken, something significant needs to be done to fix it. And that the only way to accomplish that is through a technology platform that's not built within government programs, because we've tried that. Canada Health right. InfoWay received, I think, a billion point nine over its lifetime. And uh, it made progress, but didn't deliver what was expected, which is not surprising. Startups should be the ones building technology, mm -hmm. not governments. Mm -hmm. 
And so I ended up uh, in a surprising spot of being an entrepreneur. And um, (laughs) the one big difference, of course, is that resources are not provided to you at the beginning of the project. And so give me a $100 million project to manage, no problem. (laughs) Right. You know, (laughs) build this from scratch and convince people that this is investable. Uh, It's a completely different um, story. But as we grow and we have projects, a lot of entrepreneurs hit... Um, you know, panic because they don't they don't have experience in that realm. Right. Um, yet everyone on our team is sort of hitting their stride because that's exactly where they're experienced. Uh, lovely, lovely. So I, I'm going to ask you a quick side question here. You've got a you've got your choice to go to a party tonight, and uh, you can hang out with the party with a bunch of entrepreneurs, or you can hang out at the party with a bunch of uh, colleagues of yours from the medical world. What's uh, what's your what party are you going to? <laughs> This is a, a relatively easy one for me because oh, one is good. I love parties. I love meeting people that <laughs> I've never met. And it's that sort of um, randomness of encounters <laughs> that can lead to amazing insights and conversations. And I would say that, you know, people in my current companies and investor circles were all sort of random encounters by going to a party that I wasn't meant to go to. Uh, um, so that that would be like my one sort of encouragement to everyone is say yes to something that doesn't sound like, uh, a, you know, why would I go to a party full of entrepreneurs, which is pretty much how my first experience of entrepreneurship and the first moment in which was like, hey, that's something I could also do. Yes. That's how it all started. Um, yeah. But Get back to your question is, I would head over to the doctor one and okay. take as many of them as want to come and crash the entrepreneur one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's the best answer ever. I didn't see that one coming. Good for you. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. It is a bit of a two solitudes because the entrepreneurs are saying, hmm, I wonder what would be useful in And Mm -hmm. they desperately try and connect with, you know, one orthopedic surgeon who will give them feedback. And then we end up with an app that's really good for that one orthopedic surgeon, but not for their colleagues. And the vice versa is that doctors are like, you know, technology in the workplace sucks, but they don't know anyone from the entrepreneur and tech space. And so creating some of these bridges, I think, would be um, a really promising. And I, the Canadian Medical Association is starting to really work on that with the new uh, subsidiary called Juul. Mm. On how can we get more physicians exposed, aware, and engaged in uh, innovation and entrepreneurship? That's lovely. I'm so happy to hear that. Well, you know, uh, I'm, a, a couple of things come out of that uh, that answer. One is I'm a believer that business is a team sport and you can't have everybody play the exact same uh, position on the team. So you're reinforcing that value. The second mm-hmm. thing is, you you know, you talk about you go to where you don't think you should go. I have a friend of mine when he's traveling, if there's a conference and he's got a day off, if there's a conference in the hotel he's at of plumbers or of something like that, he's just never had a connection with he'll sneak into the conference and spend time talking to people in a totally different industry for that exact reason that you just mentioned so uh, i appreciate you that that uh, that that journey of how of your party crash i think that's so brilliant so alex um, take us on the solution that you're dealing with right now with uh, with care team technologies uh what's the what's the core of of uh, what you're focused in on and uh, why are you so passionate about it well, I still practice, and every time I'm exposed to you know a clinical environment, 
you witness a lot of people who get up um, and do their best possible work every day to help patients. And yet every day, without fail, there's at least one or two situations in which the patients got lost in our system. And in spite of the best efforts of everyone, they fell in the gaps. And so mm. the optimal thing didn't happen. Uh, or they're so isolated that when they're hit with a big condition like stroke, cancer, the absence of our village around us, the social network that has become thinner over the years, mm -hmm. really impacts them because there's no one to help them, you know, get rides to appointments or, you know, take care of their kids so they can get treatment. And all of these moments collectively, I think, create the burnout that we're seeing in the medical profession. And I see care team as the answer to uh, creating a solution that allows you to understand who are the patients who are doing well and telling them, this is the plan, please go ahead and do it. The way mm -hmm. banks provided you with online banking and you can self-manage. And then you can identify the patients who actually need a little bit more of assistance and help navigating things and you'd have more time to help them. So um, we talk a lot about collaboration in the healthcare system, but we usually mean the teams within the big hospitals. And it's time to start saying anyone involved in the care of a patient needs this patient-centered collaboration platform that we've created. It's a new entity, PCC, as yes. opposed to the R's, the records, electronic medical right. record, electronic head of care record, wall softwares that record what happened in one setting. And so um, we really want to create that ability for uh, everyone involved in the patient's care, all the people, so the physicians, nurses, social workers in every clinic and hospital because patients navigate all of those, yes. all of them on the same page, but not just connected and reactive, but actually planning. And so what is what should be happening next and then assessing what's the progress along the plan. And so for all of the business people listening to the call who are not exposed to the healthcare system, they'll be like, of course, that's how you do that. You wouldn't yes. put up a house or start a project without identifying, you know, what's my mission, vision, strategy, operational plan, resourcing and progress towards the plan. But we don't do that in healthcare and care team was built to fit that critical gap. Yeah, well, you know, and it's uh, it, 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 what are you? I'm hesitating because I want to make sure I'm asking the right question. Do you, at what point do you do you actually say, okay, this is good enough to begin with and move forward? So, uh, you know, give me an example of how we can use what it is that you're doing today. Well, I mean, this is the the fun part of um, doing the opposite of what a lot of governments and big organizations have done, which is decide on painting this beautiful future, which had been promised to us from the 90s and saying we need universal health records and everything's going to be amazing and perfect and never getting to it is we've actually decided to go the other way and say, we're going to start right now, immediately provide something that's useful to people as it is. And we're going to keep improving it using design thinking and listening to what customers both ask us for, but mm -hmm. also what they do on the app, which is like the Netflix effect. Yes. Um, and then um, our first implementation is just amazing because the Ottawa Champlain uh, Dementia Network uh, is an organization and unlike any other because 
Um, I think the years ahead of some of the, the other dementia clinics across uh, Canada, the US and the UK, for example, what they've done is the Ottawa General Clinic has connected with 22 different community organizations serving patients with dementia in and around uh, the greater Ottawa region. Yes. And they've created a partnership. And when they implemented Care Team, um, they can start seeing not only what each organization's planning, but who else is involved and what are they doing and who's involved on the patient side and who needs more support. And so in their case, it's not connected yet to the heart failure clinic, the cancer center and all the other ones. And so as those become connected, as the local health networks become plugged in, the GP offices, you'll see more and more benefit. But even just focusing on one condition, which is dementia, yes. you can already see a tremendous amount of benefit to everyone involved because at the appointment, clinicians don't have to sort of play detective and figure out what's happened. Um, <laughs> they can go straight into say like, oh, I see you've had this, this and this done. Great. Now you should do that. And then the family members can go home and not play broken telephone which is try to remember what did the doctor say and repeat yes. it correctly to everybody. Right, 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 right. So is that where you would, uh, I mean, I'm going to role play with you. You're now the, uh, not the, not the minister of health for Canada. You're the prime minister of Canada. Now, where are you taking healthcare in the next five years? Well, I mean, th that's uh, a tough question to answer because the prime minister actually doesn't like our healthcare is so regional and provincial. Right, um, right. That, you know, the conversation has um, the Canada Health Act has really uh, eroded over the years. Uh, but to me, uh, the, I think there's an increasing number of people calling for a few things to be national, such as a national license for physicians so they can do telehealth from mm -hmm. anywhere. And so if you don't have enough psychiatrists in one province, they can help another one. Um, you know, a national sort of record for vaccinations or whatnot. But we see an opportunity, like if, if this was a real scenario and I got a chance to meet with the decision makers in healthcare, and let's put them all in the room or in a conference or on an email list, it doesn't matter to me, I would just say that right now we have this a series of divides between healthcare, between primary care, between public health, social factors, etc., which shouldn't exist because right. the average person needs all of the above. And so we have created technology that right now can plug into all of the legacy softwares and reimagine this um, siloed sort of collection of islands and make them connected intelligently around each patient. Mm -hmm. And so role plays are great. And so let's imagine a Syrian refugee who just landed in Canada with their family. Okay. They're going to need uh, employment advice, housing advice, English as a second language, healthcare, education for the kids, you know, maybe post-traumatic stress disorder treatment, a family physician, maybe healthcare specialists. Right now, they're walking with pieces of paper between different organizations mm, and mm -hmm. no one knows what's happening. Right. And so on care team, you'd create an entity for each one of the, you know, healthcare social services involved so that they can each say, this is my plan for that family. And they can see what the other people's plan is. But more importantly, that family can start sharing it with the welcome family, the local community center, whoever else is coming forward and saying, we'd like to make you welcome in Canada. 
And and this is not a major medical disaster. This is just a, an everyday situation. But you can already see how much better it is. Um, so, mm-hmm. so um, you know, what does what do your colleagues say about what you're doing or trying to accomplish? Is there any pushback? Or is there are they embracing it? And I'm saying from the medical um, perspective, are are they embracing what it is that you're doing, or are they are they pushing back for certain reasons? Well, patients absolutely want this like yesterday. A lot of the clinicians we meet say, wow, I want this for my clinic and I also want this for my family. Like I myself am struggling because mom has dementia, I have three siblings and we can't figure out how to communicate what's happening. So can I like start with an account right now? Um, And then we have a number of other sort of decision makers, physicians who were burned by previous waves of technology sort of, you know, the the, um, current wave of EMRs, which are legacy systems from the 80s where you had to contort yourself in order to use the system. And so the hardest part is to get them to actually see what we've built because they can't even imagine it. And so we, they often come up with words like holy grail or uh, this is amazing. Uh, um, (laughs) But um, the, the overall summary can maybe um, at the same time as startup Canada gave uh, sort of the recognition last year, um, we received the the Canadian medical associations, jewel physician innovator award. Um, And the, the sort of, when I got the call, they said the, the selection committee thought that this was the highest potential of changing the experience of both patients and physicians in any of the proposals that they'd seen to date. Wow. And so I think that that, that answers your question well. Yeah, yeah, totally it does. Um, let's, let's move to STEM. And, you know, I'm one of these people that doesn't really understand that world of STEM and why we need to even consider it. So can you, can you give us a nickel tour of that world? But I specifically want to then break into, uh, you know, talking about women in STEM. Uh, you are, you have received more accolades in that area. So can you kind of talk to us about that world and you in that world? Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, it's interesting because um, I'm, uh, I have three daughters and I was very involved in the school system. I ended up getting elected as a school trustee for two terms and um, ended up um, doing um, um, chairing the French School Board of uh, British Columbia and getting very involved in the sort of 21st century education thinking. And, and I think that we've sort of in the push to get everyone to embrace innovation and technology, uh, we've misunderstood the importance of creativity in that space. And yes. so I would actually push for people to call uh, for STEAM education and add the A in, in, <laughs> in the mix because for arts, because yes. we don't need just people who understand science. We need mm-hmm. people who combine science and art and mathematics and other areas in order to produce the kind of tools we need today because imagination is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting in the system is we've created that sort of um, mismatched hierarchy around sort of math and science is complicated, it's difficult, it's more challenging. 
you consider to be smarter if you're good at those skills. Mm -hmm. And so at some point in the education system, kids will encounter a moment in which they struggle with a concept. And instead of saying, I just need to get after school tutoring or I need to get exposure or, you know, that particular aspect of math, I'll never get and that's okay. Um, the collective conclusion of parents, teachers, and and, and um, students themselves is that that's it. I knew it. I'm not good at math. Right. <laughs> and so all three of my kids hit that moment. Uh, I knew that that's just a phase. And we found a different way to work around um, finding a solution to get them through that. Um, and they are now winning all of the math sort of um, accolades uh, and considered to be really, you know, doing math a grade ahead of their level, but it, it didn't have anything to do other than uh, the belief that they could figure it out and exposure to solutions. Mm. And so um, one of the rules of physics is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Um, so I used that when I started my startup journey and I read an article in Scientific American saying that if you don't pay attention to tech, within 18 months, you're stale, within three years, you're out of date. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait a second, the opposite must also be true. So if I start paying attention to a topic, I'll become rapidly knowledgeable and soon an expert. And so I've uh, done a lot of um, uh, learning on health and AI because I think that that's a really interesting um, area that, that's going to be core to a lot of the big opportunities in healthcare. Yes. And so fairly quickly, people have asked to me to step up and speak on panels with people who have had PhDs in AI or who spent all their time working in that space. But the combination between my main knowledge and uh, in, in the healthcare space and then that particular deep dive into AI is a value that's different than someone who's only done AI as a single area of knowledge. Right. As I would just say to anyone out there who says, I meet a lot of people who said, like, I've missed the train, the boat, you know, whatever expression. That's it. It's too late for me, but maybe my kids. And you're like, well, you have all of these amazing courses online. You can take free online courses from MIT and skill up mm -hmm. instead of, you know, watching the latest whatever on television or spending hours on social media and, and um, you know, do it because it's fun. It's not because it's critical for one's career or whatnot, but explore, go to a hackathon, um, you know, ask someone in the tech industry if you can shadow them for a day. Uh, you'll be surprised how many people are open to that opportunity. And so you don't have to jump into the big sort of STEM decision-making and fork off a whole career, you can just kick the tires and see yeah. if Chip you away. like it. Um, I, was, uh, I was talking to on the show one time to a 15-year-old from the, sort of the Scarborough area, I think. And uh, anyway, she does exactly that. Her she spends she spends less time in school than what she's supposed to, and yet she's killing the the marks in school because she's gone out, started a company, embraced this external learning as part of her journey, and uh, not only does she have a successful company, she's got parents that support her journey of learning. Yet the uh, and as they say, she goes back to school, and and the the tests are just amazing because she's got this broader uh, approach to to learn. So I, I think that's a that's a wonderful reinforcement for that. Um, the Queen Elizabeth Medal of Service. 
tell us what that was like when you got the call or got the email or got the, the royal bugler that showed up at your house or your, your office who said, thou has won the Queen Elizabeth Medal of Service. Her Majesty beckons you to Buckingham Palace. Tell us about that. It's um, not quite as uh, um, uh, glamorous as that, but you do get an official-looking letter with crest, and uh, there's an official ceremony that happened here in Canada. It was a, a jubilee uh, sort of celebration of Queen Elizabeth II, and um, uh, it was very unexpected uh, for me because... Um, um, I guess they were looking for people who've contributed in many different areas. And between my work with, you know, the education system, I've done um, a lot of uh, volunteering within the community and the work I do in, in tech and health, it was remarkable enough to get noticed. But it was a funny experience. Um, and it's a story that not many know. So here you go uh, on okay. your podcast. Uh, Let's do uh, it. Reveal. Um, <laughs> The actual ceremony took place in Vancouver, um, and uh, Joyce Murray was acting as a representative. Uh, she's the MP in Quadra. Right. Um, and at the same ceremony, uh, David Suzuki received his uh, Queen Elizabeth II Medal of Service. And so right. um, my kids who were in the audience were super excited. They're like, oh, mom, look, <laughs> David Suzuki. And they want to take pictures with him. And, and you're like, hey, mom, a medal. And they're like, yeah, yeah, right. But that's David Suzuki. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it was an interesting moment because it really sort of made me rethink what was I doing with the rest of my life. Yes. Because... Um, you know, here's someone who has left an incredible legacy in a space that's incredibly challenging. Uh, where at a time when this wasn't a popular topic, he was the first one to speak up on these issues and act and inspire others to take action as well. Yes. Um, and so it really forced me to kind of say, look, you know, I, I've worked within the healthcare system, I've pushed for change, but a lot of it ended up being incremental. And what and how can I do to start improve, matching sort of his level of um, the urgency of a call for action, the fact yes. that we're still tolerating people in you know the hallways in the waiting rooms in and we accept eight months of wait time yeah crazy um, as normal <laughs> and yeah, it yeah. isn't normal and we should keep doing all that we can do to change that experience so that at the most vulnerable moment in one's life when we're worried about one's health or one someone that we love and their health um, we feel that everything's under control that we're getting the answers that we need, that the best thing is happening and no resources are wasted. There's no mm -hmm. gaps and overlaps. And so that, that was the sort of the, the influx of, okay, I need to do something major. And we started these conversations with various people in my uh, circles to say, okay, well, let's not build another app. Let's do something that, you know, learn from all of the mistakes other people have made, all of the lessons um, around companies that failed or didn't succeed, or what's the missing ingredient? Like if this was, I, I bake a lot, and so if this is a cake, you know, what's the missing catalyst? Because right. we know that all the ingredients are here, so why isn't this particular right. cake rising the way it should? Oh, what's wrong? Wow. And, and the answer to that was um, care team. Uh, it's almost like the chip inside. It's the the glue, the connector, the ultimate sort of um, 
missing middleware mm-hmm. uh, that essentially brings the patient in as an equal partner uh, and co-pilot of their own healthcare experience, uh, which is a fundamental change to how we do healthcare in Canada. But it all started with that sort of a, you know, conversation with, you know, my kids being wowed by meeting someone who, in their eyes, was transformational. Um, and it was very humbling being on the same stage. I did not feel that, uh, you know, I deserved it to the same degree <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, yes. Um and uh, yeah. um, it hopefully inspires others that, you know, awards will come. Just do what you think needs to happen, what needs to be done. Take those um, risks that your heart tells you you need to take. And it's not always easy, but I'm surrounded by people who are encouraging, um, supporting, providing advice, uh, recommendations. And uh, it takes a village to create a startup and startup Canada community that's being created as well is so important to the success of enterprise because in Canada, we have a bit of a reflex to go uh, abroad. And so the moment you become good, you head to the valley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let, let's let's stop doing that and start building here because what we build here could be exported and could make the experience elsewhere better, but it doesn't need to mean us leaving. Dr. Alexandra, there's a question I always ask is what would your final words like to be? (laughs) I'm not going to ask you that because those words, I want them to be your final words in this conversation. That was a wonderful wrapping of the bow of this amazing gift of your time and your journey. And it's, it's my guest, by the way, at the same ceremony that, uh, they, uh, that Suzuki's children were saying, yeah, yeah, dad, nice medal, but that's Dr. Alexandra Greenhill over there. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Well, that's what I would have done anyway. <laughs> I met uh, David Suzuki in a, in a, in a lobby of a holiday inn and, uh, and uh, it wasn't as, as ceremonial as I'm sure it was when you were there, but just amazing, amazing conversation, amazing journey. Uh, you are, I'm sure, enlightening many people as to want a greater vision of opportunity and uh, not only vision, but actions behind that. So, so keep, I was once told by somebody, keep on happening rivers and Alex, keep on happening. Cause it's important for us to have you do that. How do people get a hold of you? If they want to hang out, just ask questions. Uh, what's the best way for them to connect with you, my friend? I believe in social media, so LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, good places to connect and uh, um, all inquiries are welcome because um, uh, we need to maintain dialogue and if anyone's working on anything that can help, let's collectively do it because it's a bigger problem than any one of us can solve. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're four hours behind me. Have a good afternoon. (laughs) It's four o'clock in the afternoon here. We're definitely going to stay in touch. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Rippers. No problem. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern.